0: This is Darren Davis, founder and senior leader of the Harbor Church in South Florida, and you are listening to the Harbor Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and others, visit us online at harborchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. I'm going to talk about the, the countercultural reality that God is instilling into his church. And When I talk about church... It's not a building. It's not a service or a gathering. It's not a denomination. It's not a business. It's people who have been touched in a, in a, in a profound way by, by God Himself, the creator of the universe, the one who made us. And what He's wanting to instill in us is a countercultural spirit of generosity. Generosity. Now, in our world, there's a lot of what we would see and appear to be, you know, generosity. But there's a lot of hooks that come with those kind of things, right? There's agendas in it. There's 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 reasons why people do things that they do. But there's a there's another spirit that God is, I believe, instilling into His people to prosper us, to bless us, so that we can overflow with that blessing the world. If you believe that, say amen. Can I hit a minute or amen? All right, so he is doing this. He is coming and he's doing it, I believe, right now more than ever before, more than ever in, in any other time, in my opinion, in human history. And so what I want to do is I just want to take a brief look at, at the story of Abraham and how and where this whole thing began that God wants to, I think, bring completion to us in this moment like really manifest the maturity of this in us and in our lives in this moment. Now, we know that Abraham was, was the father of the faith, really. In fact, the Jews and New Testament Christians refer back to Abraham really as the father of the modern-day church, of what God is doing right now, even through his, his body um, in the earth. Now, oftentimes what we don't realize is Abraham was not like a spiritually qualified person that stepped into this role. And I think oftentimes we maybe even think of ourselves like, man, God, am I even qualified? Is there even anything that validates my ability to bless the world with my life? How many of you have ever wondered that, like, and questioned that? Like, man, is my life really that valuable? Does it matter that much that you really want to use me in this kind of a way? Because here's the problem: is as is if, is this, as I'm teaching this, this talk today, there could be people that are just like numbing out, tuning out, because they're like, this probably isn't that relevant to me necessarily, because I don't even believe this about myself, that I have a value, that I have a competency in God, that I, there's there's something unique about me that He wants to utilize and flow through to touch the world. But that's very much the case. Abraham was the son of an idol maker. And so he wasn't raised in the ways of God. In fact, the village that he was living in had no clue about who Yahweh was, right? The creator of all things. And the Lord just probably started, you know, we don't know this, you know, exactly the the detail on this, but we don't know if, if Abraham was the first person, more than likely he wasn't, that was invited to come into this journey. There's all kinds of invitations even now being extended out to all kinds of people around the world. By God, I believe, even us here today, like, come with me into an otherworldly, countercultural kind of journey. And really, all he's looking for is our yes. That's it. Not like, what's our pedigree, you know? What, what's, what's, what do we have to bring to the table? No, he's looking simply for a yes from his people that he's inviting to come along on this journey. So look at this with me in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. We'll open up here, and then we'll just see where Holy Spirit takes us this morning, all right? I want you to check this out. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. There's a promise here, and here's what God says to Abraham. He says, I will make you, talking about future generations that will come from what you're doing here today, Oh, gosh. I wonder how, how much, I'm just pausing here, excuse me for this, but I wonder how much we, we actually really think generationally, even as Americans. As a couple hundred, 400-year-old nation, we're probably not too privy in that space, but we need to start thinking generationally. Like, the, the mark of our lives and what we do here today, it matters for future generations. And so he's saying over Abraham, listen, what is happening here right now that you've said yes to? I'm going to make you into a great nation. Now here's what God's going to do. He says, I will bless you and I will make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. Verse 3, we won't put this up, but he says this. All of the families of the earth will be blessed because of you. Can you imagine? The implications of a life surrendered that just simply comes and says, yes, that's it. Not like, yes, and I'll bring, or yes, and here's my background, or yes, and fill in the blank. No, just yes, and yes, yes, yes. Like, by the grace of God, yes, that the implications could be that all of the families of the earth could be touched in some way. Is there a generation on the earth that's ready to step into that reality right now? What if it was a Gideon army tribe that just 300, if you will, I'm talking symbolically, just said, God, put that kind of fire in my bones. Ignite me in this kind of a way by the grace of your spirit to truly be a world changer. Everything and anything could be shaken with a tribe like that. Skipping down to verse 7, we're going to kind of get a little deeper into the story here. The Lord appears to Abraham. How many of you know it's important to have an, an encounter with God, like for real, like where he shows up? This is something we should be longing for, like not just once, not twice, but continually. And the Lord shows up to Abraham and he says and speaks this promise to him. He says, I will give this land to your descendants. There's something about taking possession at some point, right? There's got to be a win at the end of the day for all human beings, right? It's not just living up here in the clouds of some ethereal promises. Like at some point, there's gotta be movement where you see something that's been promised to you actually realized, right? And so he gives them the picture of what that looks like. This land over here, In this promised land area, like actually, you guys are gonna take possession and you're gonna have control over it and you're gonna be able to settle there. You're gonna be able to land land there. You're not gonna be wandering all over the place anymore. This is where you guys are gonna end up. And Abraham does something very interesting. He builds an altar there and he dedicates this altar to the Lord. Now, we're going to talk a lot about places today, just for these, these few minutes that we're going to be dialoguing in the word of the Lord today, but I want you to kind of see the parallel of places um, through the lens of your life being seasons that you've walked through. Oftentimes for us, at least, and I'll share a little of our journey, but places have represented seasons, places where we've lived. You know, places that we've worked, or are, are, are things that we've walked through. They've been they've been seasons where I believe you know God has has done something in our hearts along the journey and process of those moments of those those facilities that we've lived in, if you will. So so places are are bigger than ju- just you know the 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 the. the, the what do you call it the, the area around you that you happen to be standing is much bigger than it 's more robust than that it 's like there 's something dynamic that 's happening in your lives oftentimes in those places and in those seasons where you, where you 're journeying through so Abram for, for a long time was, was a sojourner in the land he was wandering from place to place because he had not any real real place to settle yet. Can you imagine like what that must have felt like i I want to tell you that, he, that in studying my own family's history, that moved from Pennsylvania all the way up to the state of Wyoming way back in the day, they were called homesteaders, and they had to make this trek. Can you imagine? Across the United States, literally, to get to the western part of the country. Most people didn't even survive that part of a journey. But along the way, they were pitching their tents, which is what Abraham was doing. But he also was building altars. Pitching tents, moving, taking the tent back up, moving, pitching another tent, building an altar, picking it all back up again, and doing this ongoingly, and this was the journey of Abraham's life. Wendy and I have lived in six different cities before moving to South Florida. The reason we're here for good is she said if I moved her again, she'd leave me. Can I get an amen? All right. No more spiritual than that, all right? She just said, that's it, Darren. If you move me one more time, it's over. (laughs) But six different homes, I counted them up, that we've lived here in South Florida. Six different homes. Harbor has had over the, the years, now 19 plus years, nine different ministry locations. And I was just reflecting on those different seasons of our life in each of those cities that we lived in, the various homes that we've lived in, the different places that we've done ministry out of, and there were significant things that God was doing in those particular times to build something up in terms of my mindset, I'm talking about myself, my own belief system as it relates to this process that we've all been brought into to really believe What God has spoken to us and really get positioned to be in a place where he can bestow blessing upon us so that we can affect the families of the earth, literally. I mean, that's a big thing. Think about the the reality of that stewardship. What if God was just looking for someone to entrust these kind of treasures to so that he actually moved through them and actually see something changed in the world? We I mean, we often think that man, you know, we don't even we don't even have a concept of how the Lord wants to do this kind of thing and the sobriety of like what that's going to look like and what that's going to mean. If you look at like biblical characters like a Joseph, how many of you know it took a lot of years to get him ready to stand second in charge of Pharaoh and be entrusted with that kind of wealth in his situation? That was the way God was going to bless him and use him, right? But there was a process where God was doing things on the inside of him to get his mindset aligned to be able to come into truth and integrity so that he could be fashioned in a way where the Lord could flow through him and see this actually accomplished. What's interesting about Abraham's journey, and this struck me, even though he was wandering, at the first place that he pitched a tent and built an altar, he called that place Bethel. What does Bethel mean? It means the house of God. Do you see the irony and the beauty of that declaration? He hadn't yet landed in the place of permanence, yet in this temporary moment, he declares to God, this place shall be called Bethel, Bethel, the very dwelling place of your presence here. You know what that showed me? It showed me of Abraham's awareness of God's permanence in him while he tried to find permanence in some place. Ooh. Come on. Because the narrative is when you get and arrive at this point of the success of your life or what you've been called to do, all of a sudden then God will be really with you and and for you and you'll feel him and you'll have all this satisfaction. You ever felt that? It's not the case at all. Actually, he is way more interested in the process than he is any destination. The big thing that he wants to do is journey with us along the way. And and instill within us faith and hope and love. and, And where Abraham was able to say, this is Bethel, the very dwelling place of God, at his first stop along the way, man. That is profound to me. To see that by the grace of Holy Spirit, that revelation was able to get on the inside of him. I want you to write this down, but the altar reaffirmed two things. Number one, God's kindness to him. This is so important do you believe God is kind? Like really kind? Because so much of what's going on in the world is attributed to God and, and people are like, there is no way God is kind if he would allow this kind of stuff to happen. Trust me, there's a, there's, a, there's a mystery, this whole thing called the sovereignty of God and, and the free will of mankind that, that, that unfortunately makes space for evil people and evil ambitions to do evil things which, which affects even innocent lives like the orphans that we serve over in the Ukraine. But God in the midst of that wants to raise up a people who will stand on his behalf that understand that he is truly kind. That he is a good father, that they are so overcome with the goodness of God that no matter what is going on in the world, they will not be disillusioned because they know that the goodness of heaven is going to prevail on the earth. Ultimately, the gospel wins. Do you understand? The blood of Jesus has already secured the victory. We're so worried about the devil and all these things going on when Jesus has completely conquered him and made a display of him publicly, openly, in the midst of everybody for all to see. Now the Lord is just waiting for people to say yes and say, Lord, if you choose, I say yes for you to use me and for along the journey of my life, I'm gonna pitch tents, I'm gonna build altars, I'm gonna come into alignment with your heart and I'm gonna say that you are good and that you are kind. When you start getting the people that really believe that, COVID-19, loss of jobs, bad economic system, but they're still saying, Lord, you are so good and you are so kind and I'm filled with that goodness and I'm filled myself with that kindness. Number two, it reaffirmed his trust in the promise that God had made to him. Ah. Oh. Every single person in this room, I know it, has had something that you have felt that God has spoken to you, right? And along the way, that thing has been tested, right, by circumstances. But God is not a man that he could lie. He keeps his promises. His word is yes and amen. So the altar was an establishment of abraham's trust in his promises what's amazing there's these little phrases in the word and you just got to kind of dig a little deeper in them to really catch the the full robust meaning of what's going on there after he would finish each altar it says that he would call upon the name of the lord I mean, what did all the people that were around him wonder what the heck this guy is doing? Like, he's just kind of journeying. The Lord says, stop here. He pitches a tent. He starts to build an altar. When the altar's done, you know, after this reaffirmation takes place in his heart that God is kind, God is good, his promises are yes and amen, he calls on the name of the Lord. He just says, God! I don't know what it looked like. I don't know exactly what he said. It doesn't describe that here in the word, but he does it. Something's released. released. And so, this altar becomes three things. It becomes an altar of praise, an altar of prayer, and an altar ultimately of provision. Here's what I believe I believe probably one of the most important things that God is wanting to do in his body right now is to once again begin to burn on worship and intercession. Like maybe I I talked about this last time and I had to carry it over as it related to this countercultural word on generosity because the two are related. There needs to be a move of God's spirit, not of our own ambition or our own hunger. I'm talking a move of God's spirit where as we journey through life, as we pitch tents, as we begin to understand the goodness of God and we begin to really believe again in his promises, that something's gonna come out of that and it's gonna look a lot like worship and prayer. Worship and prayer that's enjoyable, where there's, where there's a flow and movement of God's presence in his people. But then that, that overflows into a, to an altar of provision. It says actually right in the context of these very verses that Abraham's flocks all of a sudden started to increase. He didn't have a, he didn't have a place to land yet, but his flocks increased, and, and so did Lot's, uh, not Lot's, was, yeah, it was Lot's. Lot's flocks began to increase as well. In fact, there was so much increase of what was going on in each of these persons' lives that they had to go in different directions to feed these flocks. I mean, you know, sometimes that, man, when the midst of this stuff really starts to move and God starts blessing and there's fruitfulness that's really taking place, it's okay, like, to see even expansion of different people. I remember here at one time we had, like, 40-something people in our worship community. We had 14 different worship leaders. And, man, I didn't know that there was going to be a transition of many of these into different places. And the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, Darren, did you know that your excess is maybe somebody else's necessity? We're not trying to build some little castle within the kingdom here. We're trying to get life and blessing flowing so there's movement, so that the overflow of God's blessing on the inside of people's hearts can now bless other people, not just bless our egos with our big ministries. Come on, somebody. This is far greater than that. There's far more at stake than these kind of things. Now, here's what you need to catch The altars that Abraham built, and you just go ahead and study this out, throughout the land from Shechem to the region between Bethel and Ai, all the way through the Negev, which is the desert and the wilderness southern part of, of Israel, which I've been to, is beautiful. All three of those areas were where Joshua and his armies would eventually take three primary places of residence when possessing the land. Why is that important? Your altars, your seasons, and your declarations in those moments make space for other occupiers to come in and take inhabitants of that place where God has not yet existed, in their own hearts and maybe other people's own hearts. So he set a table for the conquest to actually be realized. All right? Because how many of you know that it's not just going to be done through us and our encounters with God? It's going to be done as others come to the table and become a part of what God is doing in the earth, right? Right? Abraham was able to establish the worship in a land where there was none. His faith in the fulfillment of divine promise was also taking place while leaving at the same time the implementation of God's providential timing to him. Right? We're not going to get caught up in that. We're just going to say, God, you're moving. I believe you how this all comes to pass and the and the why's, not that we don't put in logistical, you know, muscle. I'm just saying that ultimately God's gonna be the one that makes this thing go, right? But most importantly, the altars were altering Abraham. It's not about the altar. It's not about where you lived or the, what you did in that particular time. Like, you know, even, even now, even with this campus, like, there's, there's you know, <laughs> I don't want to get into it all, but there, you know, the, I, I love the history of a place. And at the same time, like it's not about the place itself or the buildings themselves. It's like those places and those buildings should be altering us, right? In terms of that season. In terms of where we're at in the journey. And what God was actually doing is he was making his home in Abraham. What if, what if everything ultimately in each of our seasons of life and our journeys and the different experiences and the places that we live and where we're at and what we're walking through and the dynamics of what's going on in our lives ultimately flesh themselves out to where God is like, can I abide in you in fullness? Which he, by the way, already does. I could I could literally burst into a million pieces and just at the thought of like the Godhead himself in dwelling believers in fullness and yet be so mourning over the fact that we don't even realize what we carry on the inside that it takes maybe 5 10 15 20 a lifetime to actually realize who dwells <laughs> on the inside and is just longing to get out of our religious framework that we try to just contain, instead of opening the gates. Lord, flow through me. So the promise, if the promise is I'm going to bless you so that you can bless all the families of the world, I'm going to have the band actually come back up as we wrap this up. Here's the, the fruit because there's two things going on here there's a promise and then there's fruit. Everybody say that with me. There's a promise and then there's fruit, right? So this is really important because we got to understand that the two must align. And the fruit must be the fruit of the kingdom, right? There's lots of promises and lots of things that look like success. But does the fruit align with it? Because God is not only wanting to give us the promise, but He's wanting us to manifest the fruit. And the fruit is this super simple knowing God, truly where His home is in us, and then loving people where His home now begins to take residence in them. Now, here's what I want you to catch. The movement of the journey of the invitation for us to say yes may take us in different places, in different spaces. We may live in different homes. We may live live and exist in different jobs. We may go through different seasons and circumstances of life. But ultimately, they have to lead us to other people where we really out of knowing God, begin to truly overflow in love for this world. Sometimes I, I like, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but when you're watching something, you hear something, sometimes there's just this, this thing that will come up on the inside of me where I just start to weep. Like I can feel it. And I'm like, Boo. I'm. oftentimes I'm just sitting by myself. And then the Holy Spirit will, and maybe I'm even a little embarrassed by it. Where's this emotion coming from? I'll hear a song or I'll watch something or I'll, I'll see a program. God speaks to me through all kinds of things like this. And, and then the Holy Spirit will just say, you're getting it. Yeah. Keep your heart open, Darren. Don't get hardened. Have, have a Compassion that moves you as it relates to other people's perils and trials and situations especially now listen we've all been through so much trauma ourselves how in the world do we have any capacity for other people and that the Lord is saying even in your trauma I will meet you even in your own struggle I will come and I will show up to you there I will make my home with you in such a sweet way in the midst of your own pain and your own brokenness that you won't even begin to even describe it to somebody else. What the secrecy of of that encounter with me in that place does in your heart that actually compels you to have compassion for other people. Our hearts begin to be flooded with, with wanting to be a remedy to the pain and the lostness and the brokenness of this world versus just trying to survive ourselves. It's it's really important here for you to hear this. Religion tries to get you to do it the other way around. Instead of out of an encounter with God and then overflowing from there, he tries to just manipulate you out out of condemnation and really jacked up conviction to like get all religious and start going and doing all these things. And yet you've never even had that journey with the Holy Spirit. church has been doing a lot of good things for a long time. People come in, they're giving, doing this, doing that, and they they, they last a a short season. And the Lord's like, oh, that was not my purpose here. My purpose was to make my home in you, to be with you forever. It's like where David cried out, man, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. He didn't have an understanding of new covenant theology. Actually, God's like, I want to dwell in you all the days of my life. And that's what I'm after here, ultimately. That's what it's about and then out of the overflow of that all these other things begin to happen the fruit compassion and then we secondly we begin to, to recognize our specific calling like what does that look like for you Oh, you're an instrument you're an instrument in the hands of God to like love on somebody some person some life Make an impact in some way in your neighborhood or in your workplace or wherever God may use you. We begin to connect the treasure of our lives to the treasure of his heart with our time and with our talents and with our financial resources. We really are now consecrated. We're set apart. I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. show you one last thing okay as we wrap this up and then we're going to just sing a song just kind of spend just a minute before the Lord just let him do what he wants to do in our lives in this I believe this key juncture moment with all that's going on in the world and all that's going on in our own lives like what could God do here today just close your eyes just for a minute What, what could he do here today what could he do in you Do you just want to sit through another message? Do you just want to sit through another church service? Or would you just say to him, maybe, just somehow with a little quiet, yes, God, whatever you want to do in me, come and show up to me today. Maybe you haven't felt that in a while. I don't know. But listen, God wants to do something. Here, look back up at me for just a minute. In in the journey of Abraham in Genesis 14, 18, you can go look this up for yourself, but he wins his first battle. It's like he saw victory. And the irony is that it wasn't just against another king, it was against an alliance of kings. And and he experiences the spoils of war to see like the fruit of what was going to actually happen and fully transpire through a nation that would come out of his loins and 12 tribes some decades and millennials later, right? And in the midst of, of this battle, This guy, Melchizedek, shows up to him. Now, just to cut to the chase, and we'll see it here in Hebrews, Melchizedek is the pre-incarnate Christ, (laughs) mind-blowing, fashions himself in a a body before he actually comes to the earth 2,000 years ago, and he shows up to Abraham, and it says that he blesses him there. And then Abraham, out of this blessing, responds by giving him a tenth, of all of the spoils of war. Now listen, this is crazy thought here. You can look at this up theologically. It's called the law first mentioned, where it's first mentioned that establishes a precedent theologically. This is pre-law. There was no obligation for for Abraham to give a tenth of the spoils of war. Why did he? We're going to see it in a minute in Romans. There was something that happened in his heart when Melchizedek comes up and blesses him after this victory. That just overflows out of Abraham to give him a tenth of the spoils of war. Look at this in Hebrews chapter 7. We're wrapping up. This Melchizedek, verse 1, was the king of Salem and priest of the Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings, and he blessed him. Verse 2, and it says, And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness, and king of Salem, which means king of peace. He is without father or mother without genealogy, without the beginning of days or end of life resembling the son of God and he remains a priest forever. He's a king that reigns over all things and yet he's a priest that ministers to the heart forever. Before the world existed, before there were any kings, before there were any conquests on the earth, Jesus reigned, did you understand? Yet he put the control of what he wanted to do into the earth through one man's yes and Abraham is faithfully moving along not really settling not really finding a place to land his feet and he's pitching tents and he's building altars and he's declaring the kindness of God and he's declaring the promises of God are yes and amen and he finally has a battle and he wins in this one the ancient of days shows up listen What's it going to be like when Jesus starts walking into our living rooms, into our bedrooms, into our prayer closets, when he starts just showing up in ways that maybe we've never, you know, he was there with Abraham the whole time, but then now he has a personal visit from Christ himself, blessing him, which resulted in overflow. Where did this whole thing come from? Romans, Paul teaches on it, the apostle of grace, the apostle of the accomplished work. He says, for if the first fruit is holy, the lump is holy, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. So when you give that first fruit, it consecrates or sanctifies the rest, not as some religious obligation, but out of an encounter where you have been touched by God. And you're like, I can't help but offer back to him everything that he deserves because he's given me the capacity with my abilities, with the grace over my life, with his spirit, to say, Lord, make me generous so that I can be blessed by you and I can be a blessing to the rest of the world. Thanks for tuning in to the Harbor Church podcast. I hope that you were enriched, inspired, and blessed by what you heard.